I do love it when patients come in and they've done their homework and they're prepared and we can have a good, educated, deep conversation about whatever their health-related concern may be. But you know this as well as I do, right? I mean, having information is just part of the solution. Applying it correctly is the other half. Now, here's what I mean. Yes, we have to be evidence-based and we have to know what the data looks like and what the data means. But that data has to be put into the right context. And you know this, right? The data is the science of medicine, but applying it correctly is the art of medicine. Here's what I'm talking about. Just the other day, I had a patient come in. She's 41 years old, highly educated, highly motivated, very successful in what she does. Uh, and, And I love that. She's very inspiring to me. She's done a lot of great work in our community. Well, she's 41, had her first mammogram, and she came in with her report in hand and said, look, I need you to order me a breast MRI because the report said that I have grade four dense breasts and this mammogram is not any good. I need I need an MRI. So we had to have that discussion of what dense breast mean and whether or not an MRI may be helpful. Now, let me give you the full information here. She was at average risk. Nobody in her family had a history of breast cancer, but she was really worked up because she had read on a social media post, not going to name which one it is, read it. Oh, I did anyway. Nonetheless, <laughs> it was on Reddit how dense breasts need more evaluation because alone a mammogram just will fail. Well, does it? I mean, where did that come from? Plus, right now, this issue of dense breasts is really hot because a social media and media giant, Katie Couric, just came out about her breast cancer diagnosis. And she was very open about her dense breast history and how mammograms may not have been that sensitive. So all of this thing is going in in our communities, in our societies right now, especially because of the Katie Couric story that happened not long ago. So I thought, man, there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, how many mammograms do you get back? And it says, well, there's, you know, grade three or grade four dense breasts. So may need supplemental imaging. Well, what do we do with that? And what supplemental imaging do we do? Do we order? I thought, man, that's a lot to cover. And it's great, especially since we're in the board season. So let's cover dense breasts on mammogram and what kind of supplemental imaging may be necessary and what may not be necessary. And it's tricky here because because you need to know exactly what your state laws entail in this regard, because you may be committed or you may be recommended to do a certain image test over the other. Yep, some laws in the states actually require you to do a specific kind of screening if the breast is called dense on routine screening mammogram. So I'm going to give you all that information talking about dense breasts right now. Our goal is to keep everyone up to date in practicing evidence-based medicine because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Oh boy, we've got lots to unpack here. Now I'm going to give you the different grades of breast tissue based on radiologist's read of a mammogram. And remember, these grades are different than the BIRADS classification. BIRADS is the actual interpretation, the actual score, if you will, of the mammogram. But that's done in conjunction with the overall grade of the breast image. And that's based on how dense the tissue is. This is a big deal. Because every year, 40 million U.S. women in the age range between 40 and 74 years of age undergo breast cancer screening with mammography. 40 million every single year. 
of these women, 43%, will have a dense breast diagnosis at the time of that mammogram. That's almost half. This dense breast nomenclature translates into an absolute number of 28 million women obtaining additional breast information as part of that mammogram screen. Now, I'm going to tell you what that additional breast information is in a minute, because that's what tends to freak women out. Now, it's totally valid. That additional information is, hey, you're found to have grade three or grade four breasts, which is called dense breast condition. uh, And this mammogram may have decreased sensitivity for finding masses. That's the additional breast information that comes with a grade three or grade four read when the breast is somewhat dense. So I'm going to give you that information in a minute. But remember, this is different than the BIRADS system. Okay, just because we brought up BIRADS, let's just briefly go over that nomenclature real quick. BIRADS stands for Breast Imaging Reporting and Data System. BIRADS. BIRADS 0 is a no read, all right? That means it's incomplete for whatever reason. It could be underpenetrated, overpenetrated, wrong image, whatever. But BIRADS is no result, it's incomplete. BIRADS 1 means it's a negative result. BIRADS 2 are benign findings that have 0% probability of malignancy. BIRADS 3 are things that are probably benign. In other words, that's 2% or less probability of malignancy based on what's found on mammogram. Right? So BIRADS 3 is probably benign. BIRADS 4 is suspicious for something bad, right? That's suspicious for malignancy. BIRADS 5 are findings that are highly suspicious of malignancy. And the last category is BIRADS 6, which is a mammogram in a patient who has known breast cancer by previous biopsy or surgery, all right? So BIRADS 6 is in the already known, already diagnosed breast cancer patient. All right, so those are the BIRADS classifications from 0 to 6. In addition to the BIRADS classification that comes with all screening mammograms is the grade of the breast tissue. Grading is different. Grading has to do with the amount of density of the breast. Grade 1 means that the breast is almost entirely made up of fat. In other words, it's less than 25% glandular. Grade 2 is when there's scattered fibroglandular densities or about 25-50% to 50% of the breast is glandular. Grade 3 is when the breast tissue is heterogeneously dense, but that could obscure detection of some small masses. In this classification, again, grade 3, that's where the breast is about 51 to 75% glandular. Y'all get it? So the more glandular the breast, the denser it is. The more fatty it is, the less dense it is. Grade 4 is when the breast tissue is extremely dense. In other words, it's greater than 75% glandular. So those are the four different grades. So BIRADS has six different classes. Grading of the breast is based on the density, the amount of glandular tissue in it, and there's only four grades. Grade 3 and grade 4 are considered dense breast tissue findings on screening mammogram. So here's where we're at. Here's the reality. Women with dense breasts that grade three or four for sure have a modestly increased risk of breast cancer and can experience reduced sensitivity of mammograms. That's absolutely true. And that can be very scary. But I'm talking about, remember, for this whole podcast, we're going to focus on the average risk patient. 
This has nothing to do with a patient who's BRCA positive or has a family history. That's a whole other issue. But for our purposes here in this session, let's focus on the average population, average risk of breast cancer, okay? So when somebody has a screening mammogram that's grade three or four in the average risk population, what do we do with that? That's our discussion here. Ah, but there's the controversy right there and where medical experts can't agree. You see, that whole grading scale, that one that we talked about from one to four, that is pretty subjective and it's based on the opinion of the radiologist who's reading the mammogram. Now, here's what's also interesting. This whole grading issue and this reporting, this mandatory reporting on the mammogram that we have to say when the breast tissue is dense is a very U.S. thing. There's actually no universal or international mandate to report on breast density on screening mammogram. That pretty much is an American thing. Just thought that was interesting. That's a good spot for us right there to kind of go over this breast density notification system that's universal in the U.S. Now, we've got a lot of listeners who are not U.S.-based, so this may not apply to you, or it may. I mean, it depends, because while it's very prevalent and it is standard in the USA, it may not be abroad, as we've already stated. So it's important to look at your mammogram reporting and see if that's reported or not. I mean, it's great information, but it can kind of lead to a lot of anxiety and stress to the patient. That's exactly where we're going to get into, okay? And when supplemental imaging is required. We're going to touch on all that. But this whole issue of this mandated reporting for dense breasts goes back to 2009. The first state that actually put that out as a mandate was in Connecticut. And since then, 38 states have started to mandate dense breast nomenclature as part of screening mammogram. And that's okay. I'm all for it. But I I don't like it when it scares patients like in my patient we talked about in the intro. And we're going to get into what we came up with here at the end for her and and how we presented this data in an evidence-based way. All right, so 38 states have a mandate to report breast density on routine screening mammo. Five states actually mandate that supplemental screening be done for all women with grade three or four dense breasts. That's a mandate in order to have to do it. Now, Texas is not one of those. In Texas, it does give you that mandatory reporting about breast density, and that sta- and that statement says to the patient, hey, this may be not as sensitive, so it's recommended, especially if you have other high-risk factors, to get supplemental imaging, and that's it. But it doesn't tell you which one to get, and that's why we're going to do this podcast. Now, I want to be very clear. In no way am I against this dense breast reporting or nomenclature. I think this is a great idea. I just don't like it when it freaks patients out. Like, oh my gosh, I've got dense breast. Uh, I'm doomed. I don't like it when it freaks people out. But it, it has to be in there. Patients need to be informed. And as it stated in the Journal of the American College of Radiology, the reason that that text is put into the report that the patient sees is to, quote, help initiate the conversation between patient and healthcare provider about the need or possible need for supplemental breast imaging, end quote. And I think that's great. We should have this conversation because the last thing we want to do is miss a breast cancer. But at the same time, the flip of the coin is we don't want to order a bunch of tests that has more cost and more stress and anxiety for the patient. You see, isn't medicine fun? (laughs) I mean, what a dilemma. I mean, really it is. On one hand, oh my goodness, I don't want to miss cancer. So I'm sending everybody with dense breasts for an MRI. No, don't do that. Uh, and then the other side of the coin, man, I'm, I'm just don't want to put patients with extra financial stress and time out of their schedule and, and just anxiety. So that's the two balancing acts. All right. Now there is an answer for it. And I'm going to tell you what that is because ACOG has an answer. American College of Physicians has an answer. And I'm going to get to that a little bit later. 
but you see how delicate it is, right? I mean, the one hand, we don't want to miss it, and we don't want to order a bench, bunch of tests for, for just for nothing. But in the average risk patient, this can cause anxiety when, unfortunately, maybe you shouldn't have to. Oh my goodness, can you believe it? That's just the intro. That's just the setup <laughs> to get into really what I want to talk about, which is the supplemental tests, what those tests actually are, what, what that includes, and what the professional societies say about these tests, when it's necessary and when it's not. I was told that I'm rambling and I haven't even gotten to the meat of the podcast and we're probably going to have to make this a two-parter. But I told them not to edit anything out because I think this is vital. We have to understand, like this patient had to understand why this was put in there and how it can cause more stress and anxiety than sometimes it's worth. All right, all right, let's get on to the supplemental breast imaging tools. I've stopped rambling and then we're going to get into what the professional societies have to say. All right, sorry for the rambling. When patients have dense breasts on screening mammogram and they're at average risk, there's several supplemental screening modalities that can be done in combination with that screening mammogram to try to increase the sensitivity of the test. Some of these tests can include basic ultrasound or CEM, that's contrast-enhanced mammography. There's also DBT, that's digital breast tomosynthesis. That's like a 3D digital mammogram, and I'll explain that in a little bit more detail in just a minute. There's molecular breast imaging tests. Can you believe that? That's pretty neat. We're going to get into that in a minute. That's MBI, molecular breast imaging tests. And of course, there's breast MRIs that most people are familiar with. So from ultrasound to contrast-enhanced mammography to digital 3D mammograms to molecular tests to breast MRIs. Let's talk about digital breast tomosynthesis or DBT first because it really is pretty neat and it's pretty accurate. Now, unlike most imaging techniques, not only does it have increased sensitivity, but it has a very low absolute recall rate. A recall rate is when you have to call the patient back because you just didn't get a good image. Well, with digital breast tomosynthesis, it's only 0.8 to 3% for its recall rate. It's really, really good, especially compared to regular 2D mammography. Now, here's a clinical pearl, and this is a big deal. In 2016, the National Comprehensive Cancer Network, or the NCCN, updated its guidelines to consider annual DBT screening starting at the age of 40 for women at average risk of breast cancer. Now, do y'all get that? That's a big deal, because in other words, they canned, they threw out, they threw under the bus regular 2D mammography and say, if you're going to get a routine screening mammogram, this is according to the National Comprehensive Cancer Network, it should be a three. 3D digital breast tomosynthesis. So DBT is the same thing as a 3D mammogram, all right? See, this is why it's important to know what you're ordering. So if you just tell your staff or your coordinator, hey, send this patient for a routine screening mammo, you got to be more specific than that. I mean, are you ordering a 2D mammogram or a 3D mammogram, which is digital breast tomosynthesis? Now, just to be very clear, that's the National Comprehensive Cancer Network. That's not what ACOG says. Yikes. So you see, even professional societies don't agree. ACOG still likes the regular old 2D mammogram. Now, let me give you my personal perspective. I think digital breast tomosynthesis, the 3D mammogram, because of its increased sensitivity and decreased callback rate, is absolutely the way to go. I think that should be the first test for a screening mammogram in the average risk patient. And again, it's not just me. That's the National Comprehensive Cancer Network. But you'd be surprised when we get into what professional societies recommend, ACOG does not feel the same way. 
Ooh, now I love my college. I'm very ACOG friendly. I, I, we've talked about that before, but man, why not? And so I think this is going to change very soon. But as of right now, ACOG favors the regular 2D mammogram, not the 3D digital breast tomocentesis, although it is favored by the National Comprehensive Cancer Network. My personal two cents, if a routine mammogram in the average risk patient, please order a digital breast tomocentesis. Moving on to the next supplemental test, which is the molecular breast imaging test. I know that sounds super cool. We can look at the molecular activity of the breast. Really cool. Please don't go routinely order this test, all right? Because <laughs> it's not simple. Even though it is U.S. FDA approved for supplemental screening for women with dense breasts, I mean, it is. It's, it's definitely on the list. It's nuclear, okay? <laughs> it's nuclear medicine. Oh, my goodness. Now, it's great especially for those patients that are at high risk. But in average risk patients, even though it is on the list of supplemental breast imaging, that's U.S. FDA approved, please don't order molecular breast imaging as routine. It's nuclear. It can be messy to do. I don't mean like messy, like you can get stuff everywhere. I just mean it's complicated. It exposes the patient to a little bit of more radiation than, than the other tests. It's very good because it looks at metabolic changes in the breast that cancer can give without finding a true anatomical mass. Do you see why it's better in dense breasts? I mean, you don't even have to worry about what the breast tissue looks like because we're looking at a molecular level for activity. Wowzers. I mean, really, really neat. But it's nuclear. It exposes the patient to technium 99. So unless you really have a good indication, please don't order a nuclear breast test for your patient. We're going to talk about two additional tests here, breast ultrasound and MRI. But let's start with breast ultrasound. Supplemental screening with breast ultrasound is widely accessible in the U.S. and abroad, and there's two big advantages here. It avoids ionizing radiation, and you can do a real-time biopsy if you want to. Oh, wait, there's another advantage here. Ultrasound is very good at looking at fluid densities, so it can find something that's fluid-filled compared to a more soft tissue mass, so there can be good pickups here. Additionally, because of that distinction, you can actually help identify 1.8 to 4.6 additional breast cancers per 1,000 women when breast ultrasound is added to routine screening mammogram in asymptomatic women found to have dense breasts. So that's a good thing. Oh, if only it was that easy. But unfortunately, even though those are great pros, there are some cons. Yeah, breast ultrasound is not the best either. Screening ultrasound can lead to a lot of false positive results when it's added to 2D mammography as its first go-to. Screening studies have shown 12% to 15% increase in recall rates with a reported low positive predictive value of only 9%. So that's a clinical pearl. For those who go, yeah, I'm going to get go straight to breast ultrasound. That's my go-to. Yep, definitely some advantages. But the positive predictive value of breast ultrasound when it's added to just routine screening tests is only 9.4%. In other words, because of its low positive predictive value of 9.4%, it can lead to a lot of biopsies that would be otherwise unnecessary. This was actually published as a systematic review by the U.S. Preventive Service Task Force in the Annals of Internal Medicine back in 2016. Now that we've covered ultrasound with its issues, let's get into what most people are familiar with, which is breast MRI. 
breast MRI is a great thing, especially in the high-risk population. It's endorsed by the American Society of Breast Surgeons in patients at highest risk, specifically BRCA carriers, which starts around 10 years before an index family member was diagnosed with breast cancer. And it's not just the American Society of Breast Surgeons. The American College of Radiology also recommends MRI in conjunction with mammography for screening high-risk women who have a lifetime risk of breast cancer that exceeds 20% on the basis of breast cancer risk assessment tools. Specifically, the one used by the ACR, that's the American College of Radiology, is the Trier Cusick Risk Assessment Tool. This is also known as the International Breast Cancer Intervention Study Tool. All right, now here's a clinical pearl. Although it's proven to be highly effective in this high-risk population, data is still lacking to support supplemental MRI in the average risk patient. And so there's the dilemma. We have this gap. MRI is great for the breast in high-risk patients, but the data and the jury is still out in its use as a supplemental screening tool in patients at average risk. Plus, getting an MRI for the breast can be a financial burden. I mean, in some places, it's $500 additional cost, but it can be up to $1,000. That was published by the Brem Foundation to defeat breast cancer and in their publication and their research about the cost of these supplemental tests. All right, podcast family, let's put this back into perspective. We've covered four tests here that are considered supplemental, all right? So that means patient gets her 2D mammogram and comes back, hey, look, it looks negative, but she's got grade three or four dense breasts. And it says, may consider supplemental testing. Well, we've covered four of those. We've covered the 3D breast mammogram, which is digital breast tomocentesis, which really should be the first screening test to begin with but it's not. So we've covered DBT, we've covered breast ultrasound, we've covered the nuclear option, and then we've covered breast MRI. Well, what do we do with this information? Well, that's where our professional societies come in, right? I mean, surely they're backing for this, they're supporting these because of their increased sensitivities. You'll be surprised. I'm telling you, part two, it may knock you off your chair because as breast cancer is just so prevalent out there, remember one in eight to one in nine will have a lifetime breast cancer risk. That's just in the general population. You would think that our professional societies would be all over this, but they're not. So I'm going to leave that for part two. In part two, we're going to cover ACOG's stance regarding supplemental breast screening when women who have dense breasts. And we're also going to talk about other societies and how they actually support ACOG's stance, which again, may not be what you think. So as always, podcast family, we're thankful for you. And we'll come back to part two to wrap up this mini series well, it's only part one and part two, (laughs) regarding dense breast tissue. As always, we're thankful for you. We'll see you on part two coming up soon on Clinical Pearls.